Welcome to Between Two Chairs, Demystifying Commercial Real Estate, the podcast that brings you the latest insights and trends on the South Florida commercial real estate market with your hosts, Fernando Arencibia Jr. and Jennifer Wolman. In each episode, we dive into the world of commercial real estate and break down complex concepts to make them accessible for everyone. Whether you're a real estate professional, a curious investor, or just interested in the South Florida market in general, Between Two Chairs is the podcast for you. So pull up a chair and join us. Well, welcome, everybody, to another episode of Between Two Chairs, Demystifying Commercial Real Estate. Thank you all for being with us today. My name is Fernando Arencibia, and as always, I have the honor and privilege of sharing the mic with the wonderful Jennifer Woman. That, that's your that's your cue to say something, Jennifer. Right? I was going to say, wow, that sounded kind of low energy for Fernando. Really, <laughs> I was see, I was being soothful. I, know, I was introducing. I don't know if that's really what our I, style. Though. For a second, I thought, did I mispronounce her name? Did I call? You know, did I mention another? What is, was there another Jennifer all of a sudden? Yeah. No, no, I was just, I was like, well, oh, how do I, how do I come in after that? I guess I put on my midnight radio voice. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So, Jennifer, what are we going to talk about today? So, we're here in Miami-Dade County, and in two weeks, well, less than two weeks, actually, on the 17th, most kids go back to school, so it's the end of our summer. I know a lot of people, it's um, Labor Day, but for us, it's back to school, even though I don't have kids in school anymore, but kids are going back to school, going back to college. Um, starting new jobs. It's when a lot of people move is over the summer when they're starting new jobs. So we decided that it's kind of a first. So we decided that we were going to talk about our firsts because you always remember your first. (laughs) That's right. And we're not going down that road. We're talking about our first month in real estate, our first year, our first deals, our first whatever else comes to mind. But this is going to be a podcast all about firsts. So right. do you remember, I don't, this, this might be hard for me because my memory is, <laughs> mm. so do you remember your first month in real estate? So I remember my transition into brokerage. It was coming from the mortgage industry. And so I was doing mortgages. I was a licensed, you know, mortgage broker in the state of Florida, working here in Miami-Dade County. And we hit the financial crisis, right, in, in two, 2006, 7, 8. Right around that time, I was been encouraged by other people. Why don't you just get your real estate license, go into the, the brokerage side of the business, look into the transactional side. Of course, everything was kind of imploding, you know, all around us. I remember that in the mortgage industry at that time, there was a website called, uh, you know, Mortgage Implosion. And you would go and every day you would see these companies that, have been around for a long time and that were, you know, major players in the industry that were, you know, basically closing down. I, I remember walking into a office building to the title company with my client 
And, you know, the, the program manager for one of these mortgage companies was waiting for us in the lobby. Me being the optimist that I am, I thought, oh, this is wonderful. You came to, you know, to be a part of the closing. Well, you, you call yourself an optimist, but you were reading Mortgage Implosion. That sounds a little <laughs> oxymoronic. Well, you know, I, w I will tell you, I, I went to that website after this event because the reason why she was there was to let us know that we couldn't close because the mortgage company had uh, had closed down and they were not funding the loans even though we had a clear to close oh and we were ready to go and so then we went into panic mode found another another vendor that would provide the mortgage we were corresponding lenders and so you know, we were able to close that deal, but that's when that's when it became so real for us that, you know, this is a serious issue. And so, you know, I went, I got my license and I started working and uh, and I had a friend who had recommended me to a broker from Remax and a Remax office in, in Miami Lakes. And, uh, you know, shout out to Eddie Rodriguez in Miami Lakes. That's where I got my my start. And I learned, you know, so much from uh, so much from him. But I remember that first month was there's that combination of excitement and that you're starting something new you know i do remember it being somewhat overwhelming just the transition transitioning to this other side of the business making sure that my clients came with me uh, seeing how i can you know expand my services and really learning new procedures new structures you know i didn't i didn't understand the whole thing about the association and no you have to get your you have to be a member of the association or get access to the mls and all this stuff so i remember that that first month was really about setting up all the stuff ordering your business card so we talked about this as we're building our business that uh, oftentimes in the early stages you feel like you're drinking out of a water hose and that's what i remember the most and of course i also was going through a certain sense of a lot is happening in the economy at large you know it's a risky time to in essence start a new business because when you're an agent and i have this conversation with a lot of agents sometimes when you're coming from a field where you're an employee it's hard for you to transition your mind from okay now i'm a real estate agent you know and you're always looking for people to tell you what to do just like if you were employed well the reality is that you're an independent contractor you're right, you're you, you your are your own company you right. own your own business and so it takes a little bit of time to transition to that i feel very very happy that I made that transition in Remax because they're, they're, the mentality of Remax is we want full-time agents that are focused on their business and we are your business partner. And so, you know, in that way, it at least gave me the right mindset and the right approach. But, uh, you know, that first month was, you know, just just a lot of a lot of adjusting and a lot of and a lot of potential. So I think it's interesting the time that you decided to switch because I think I switched like maybe a year or two before that because I, I remember being in the middle of the Great Recession. But something that you pointed out that immediately stuck a chord was, you know, that negative headline, the mortgage. What was it? Apocalypse. Yeah, a mortgage. Apocalypse. Yeah, so I was going to say, stay, stay away from, you know, I, I just feel like when everything's going horrible and the economy is tanking or whatever words are being right. used out there, that's a time when you really need to be careful and you need to dig deep. I know a lot of people, Blanca Real Estate started yeah. her amazing company, you know, in the office sector during that same time. So, yeah. um, you know, we're starting our company now when right. in commercial real estate at a time when commercial real estate has, you know, transactions have decreased by about 50% in most places um, because of the credit crunch. So I, I think that it's good to know 
what the news is saying to an extent, and then it's time to back off. Because in reality, right. what you do in your everyday life is what's going to have the most effect, not what's happening out in the overall world universe or the United States or even Florida. It's what's happening. And so that's what you need to know. And then every negative creates opportunity, right? Right. So, so yeah, you might've had to shift, you know, from mortgage to sales and people are like, oh, but nobody was buying. Well, that's not true. Investors came in. There was a time where people were waiting for the bottom. And what, oh my gosh. Well, my- what I remember is during that time, look, there, there was just a sense of anxiety overall mm-hmm. in our entire country and our nation. I think worldwide, you know, the, the economy ramifications of everything that had transpired years before. But I do remember and I recall clearly reading that letter, that open letter that Berkshire Hathaway's, you know, CEO, uh, the Oracle of Omaha uh, published, yeah, Warren, Buffett. Uh, Warren Buffett, and, you know, where he says, this is the time to invest. You invest when everybody is afraid, right. you know, and when everybody is incredibly optimistic, that's the time to be cautious. And, uh, you know, obviously, you know, I didn't have a lot of capital to invest, but I did have, I knew I could invest my time and resources. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, in that way, I understood that there is a risk. And listen, I go back to those days and I remember having a conversation with people. You had the opportunity to buy Ford stock at a dollar. Well. You had the opportunity to buy GM at three dollars. Mm-hmm. You, you know, you could have bought General Electric for like eleven dollars. You know, and then you start going down. You're like, you, you, this. I can totally see where there's incredible opportunity when everybody is afraid. So you got to right. be. You have to be contrarian because be most contrarian. people, including me, I sold yeah. a bunch of stock because I called my. I, you know, I, I had just started working with another company. My kids were getting ready to go to college. I was pretty sure I was okay because the only debt we had was our house. But, you know, I had all of this stuff going on and she's like, oh no, you know, you still, you've lost a lot, but you still have principal sell. Sell so that you at least preserve your principal. And I'm like, I don't, that doesn't make sense. But here I am paying this expert, right? And so I'm like, maybe she knows. So instead of sitting back and looking at the big picture and looking at everything. I sold not a lot. I'm like, okay, let me sell enough where I've made a ton of money that Mm -hmm. I'm going to be okay, even though it's down because I still have, it was principal and, you know, principal and some. But in hindsight, like I never should have listened to her. One, she was in full panic mode, which told, you know, obviously I fired them right away. But so she was in full panic mode and I ended up buying, but I sold on the lowest stock price of the year. So talk about timing the market, you know? Yeah, I, yeah, yeah, I did time the market, total opposite side. But then we did start investing because it was so low that even if it went down more, we knew that eventually it was going to go up once the mess got cleaned up. And it did. It took a long time for the mess to get cleaned up. I mean, down here, our prices didn't really rebound until what, 2017, right. 2016. Yeah. So yeah. it took a good 10 years yeah. for prices to get back to yeah. where they were before they totally tanked. So what was your first month in real estate like? So my first month was strange because I had my own company with a with a girlfriend of mine and we did environmental consulting for oil firms. Um, so we had that going on and the only reason i got my license was because i referred so much business to my girlfriend who did residential real estate she's like i want to pay you a commission i just can't pay you a commission um i can't give you a gift big enough like i 
to do this right, we need to, you to get your license. So I'm like, okay, yeah. So I, so I got my license and then I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do with the license. So I just hung it for a referral. And then um, all of the issues in South America started happening. Most of our clients were in Venezuela and Ecuador. Mm. That's where the big thick oil is. And we were working with a a product that loosened oil. But anyway, so we decided that my partner and I, that we were, you know, if it did go the way that we thought those economies were going, that we would rather lose money in the United States (laughs) than in a company, you know, in in countries where the laws are just a little bit wild west. So... That's all. That's what I did. And then um, when I did that, I'm like, oh, I'm going to get my CCIM. So that's when I started looking into CCIM and registering for my CCIM classes. So technically, you made your first money in in real estate, you know, in, in the transactional side, getting a referral before you closed your first deal, basically. Well, I don't even know if I ever got a referral because that was, well, because that was around the time, I want to say it was like two or three years before the crash and it was just frothy. I mean, you would drive by any development anywhere or condo conversions and there was like a line. So most of the people that I dealt with were like, no, it's too high, you know, it's too high, it's too high, it's too risky. Um, So when I referred yeah, I think I did get. I think I did get one or two referrals. So, do you remember what was your first transaction as a as as a broker as an agent? My first transaction was a residential because I was still taking my CCIM. So when I re- went once I start took my first CCIM class, I was like hooked on real estate. Right. I was like, oh my gosh, I found my home with my environmental background and my yeah. social and all the stuff that I like with business and everything else. So I I um I was taking my CCIM, but I didn't want to do that without. Yeah, I didn't want to do any commercial transactions without that. I probably could have because my broker was very knowledgeable, but. I did a um, residential transaction, and that was the first one. It was fine. It was, you know, I represented a buyer, found them a nice place in Palmetto Bay, learned all about, you know, the other side, the buying side of septic tanks and everything else. I knew the other, you know, I knew the environmental side, but right. so, yeah, so yeah, that was my first one. What was your first? It was actually, it was actually a lease. It was a residential lease. They had um, built Cité in mm-hmm. you know in, in the midtown area in downtown miami somebody referred me to the daughter of of a friend of theirs that was looking to rent out a 1500 dollar a month two bedroom imagine at imagine city. at the city i don't know if it's a or city no it, it's, it's a city c-i-t you're talking about oh, you're thinking, thinking about a tie no that's a tie could you imagine no i mean i can't imagine right now you're like thinking like and so and so that was the deal. And I remember being so uh, careful with the documentation and, you know, I have to have the right, you know, contract to lease. And it was great because it was a quick transaction. That's what's great about leasing mm-hmm. when you're starting in the in the business because they close quickly. You start to generate. That was my first money that I made. I will say that what was really valuable is coming from the mortgage side. I understood the numbers, you know, really well. And I understood underwriting and, you know, the, the outfit that I was in in the mortgage side, we would do. Uh, desktop underwriting approvals ourselves and we would be able to input a lot of that information. So we, I understood that side. So in a lot of ways, even though everything was new to a degree, I had already been in the industry, you know, right, so, right. so you kind of, you've been you've on been the, the back end. So right. you've seen that, that other side. And 
And I, and I really think that a lot of people don't understand that, you know, you do have a lot of pressure on your shoulders when you're a corresponding lending a lender and mm -hmm. you're dealing with getting approvals, you know, there's just a lot that goes that goes in the back end. So what what is desktop underwriting for people who know nothing about? Yeah, mortgage? so basically Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac have a, have a system that you could use uh, that is online in which you can basically provide all the input of income expenses. You are able to input all of the financial information of a prospective buyer to determine what is the, their debt to income ratio. And so, you know, lenders like to have a percentage equation that you don't pay more than a certain, you know, amount for your housing expenses and for for your overall expenses. Mm -hmm. So they take into account all of your car payments, all of your you know credit card debt, and then they put into the equation the prospective new debt of the property that you want to buy and that you want to purchase based on the amount of down payment that you're going to provide, the current interest rate, and also based on the taxes and insurance. So everything is inputted into the place and then you get something that is called a conditional approval. Basically, if all the information that you provided can be verified and is verifiable, then we conditionally approve this loan. That's what desktop underwriting is. And that's really the first step. And a lot of ways when you're when you're buying, and I, listen, I know this is a commercial real estate podcast, but just to give you a sense, a lot of people, when they go and buy a property, they go and get a pre-approval letter, right? And a pre-approval letter is just basically an understanding that is, you know, factored in by the loan officer, and they'll just give you a letter say, yes, you know, we feel that you're going to qualify for these things. It's not as strong as a desktop underwriting approval because that, then it's more about, you know, providing the right inputs, and it's definitely not the same as having a full approval right. uh, as you go through the application process and a lot of the stuff. What is the equivalent? to desktop underwriting in commercial because you don't get a pre-approval letter when you're you getting a commercial loan. Absolutely. But a lot of people who invest in single family homes or maybe a duplex are used to the pre-approvals. So true. then they come up and they're like, oh, I need to get a pre-approval letter. Right, exactly. Yeah, no, in the commercial sector, you're waiting for a term sheet basically from the bank. And it's really interesting because that's really based on relationships, experience of, of, of the person that is going to operate that asset type. I remember putting together some of those commercial deals. And what I, what I remember clearly is that the experience of the operator was very important to the underwriter. And instead of just going through desktop underwriting, you're following the guidelines of Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, then you submit to the lender. The lender is gonna make sure that those things match. And if everything matches and all of the documentation is correct, and if you know whatever hiccups you hit along the way, they'll just put more conditions, you fill those conditions, and you can get to a clearer close and close. When it comes to a, a you know commercial loan, you're gonna go in front of a committee right, that is going to make those decisions. Those, that committee is made of individuals, and basically what the most important person is the loan officer who is going to package that loan together, and it's gonna pull all the information, including the bio of the person operating it, and it's gonna present it in front of that board. You really won't get a term sheet until that board says, yes, we're willing to do the loan at these conditions. And you're gonna to have to play with loan to value you're going to have to play with you know what the rate and all stuff but that in essence when you're getting a loan you it's a it's a it's a different process 
The biggest differentiating factor is that as a broker, you have to be comfortable with understanding that, that there is no way to have certainty mm-hmm. that they're going to get the loan until you go through that process mm-hmm. and that the packaging of that loan is important. And, and by packaging, I mean a good mortgage broker is going to make sure that they have all the information they need to make that decision at that point. Even if they're waiting for an appraisal that the appraisal was already ordered, that uh, if there's an environmental that is required, that the environmental is there, that they get all of the audited financials that they need, and that way you get your larger chances of, of getting approved. By the way, that committee might meet, you know, might meet once a week, but then during the summer months, they might mm-hmm. be gone for two weeks. So, you know, again, those are the things. Like, I remember working with a bank that they would always have their committee meetings every Friday morning. And so whenever I would work with that bank, I knew that I had to wait. The Friday mornings were, you know... They could when be Christmas or... <laughs> you were either going to have a great party weekend or you were going right. to have a or very depressing... they might come back with more questions and more things that they need to evaluate. And then now you got to wait another week right. to do that. So right. do you remember what was your first commercial deal? I do. And I've mentioned it before. That was the medical office where the right. doctors were creating a Band-Aid. And it's funny because it was a Band-Aid from the ins for the inside of the eye like to cover the pupil but the one that i want to talk about because it's one that's near and dear to me was my first retail deal yeah and that was the leasing of bougainvillea's sunset tavern and in south miami and when i leased that i can't even remember what it was before but it wasn't a bar but it was for this woman that i met and Mm -hmm. she was so much fun she was she was a medical doctor but she was like you know, medical, being a doctor is so serious and, you know, it's it's kind of dry and yeah. sometimes it's very depressing. So I want something that's fun. So I'm going to, I want a beauty parlor that's tied into a bar. <laughs> what do you think of that idea? And I'm like, the thought of having hair in my drink really <laughs> grosses me. <laughs> I said, I love the Good. bar idea. I love yeah. having drinks and making it more fun. So we were yeah. looking for spaces like that. And I'm yeah. like, the zoning can be tricky because if you're serving, like you can't, you know, how do you sell all alcohol in a yeah. beauty salon? So yeah. we were looking into that and, and trying to figure out how that would work. But in the meantime, we were looking for businesses for sale that were beauty parlors or spaces for lease that were beauty parlors. And I had just always loved the Bougainvillea building. And I'm like, why don't we go take a look at this? And we took a look and she's like, okay, just a bar. And so she did that lease. Oh my gosh, that was back in Wow. I can't I don't even know how long that is and super successful. It was it yeah. did extremely well. She ends up getting an unsolicited offer to, to buy the business. To, you yeah. know. So she sells the business and it's still going strong. Oh, and wow. I still love that little place. Yeah. So that was my first. It was a lease. It was a long term lease. Yeah. And that was my first That's commercial, my retail deal. That is awesome. How about yours? I love it. I'm trying to generate business. I'm trying to see where is my path of growth, you know, in, in real estate in general. You know, I go online. I'm, I'm a graduate of FIU, proud graduate of FIU. My degree is in education. But I start looking at what does FIU offer in real estate? And they have something called the Real Estate Alumni Affinity Council. And it's open for any alumni who is interested in real estate. And so at the time, FIU was running their master's uh, program from the second floor of the Macy's building, you know, oh, the, the old Birdine's building in downtown Miami. 
and they say, uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking on a Monday and they say, well, we have a meeting on Thursday at, you know, 7 p.m. at night or 6 p.m. I think it was at 6 p.m. And in my mind, I'm thinking, man, I got to drive to downtown in the middle of this time. But, you know, let me let me go and check it out. And of course, I'm walking into Macy's. You know? <laughs> I'm like, how the hell is, you know, and I'm asking people like, do you know how to get to 2100, the suite 2100? No, no, go, go to the back, go to the elevator. And then you go to the second floor. It's all these office and all these really nice, actually really nice classrooms that they had, you know, developed. And I walked in there with a bunch of FIU alumni that were, you know, in the real estate industry. The person leading the meeting was from Comreal. And I met a few people that were there. And then I met a couple that were really purely all, all commercial and so I decided to invite one of them to lunch and just say can you you know give me a little sense of what commercial is like and we started at their offices in it just so happens to be in Little Havana we walked to downtown Miami crossed the bridge walked to downtown Miami went to have you know coffee and lunch in that entire walk I was just mesmerized by the whole dynamic of you know real estate he asked a lot of questions and you know we had a, a really interesting back and forth and we stay in touch a couple months come by and says look I have an investor who's looking for uh, to to implement a strategy, would you like to come down and, and hear us out? So they tell me what kind of products they want to build in, in, in La Havana and all that stuff. So I get out, I'm kind of excited by this whole dynamic, and I call my buddy Ed Martinez, who was working with me at in, in Remax, and Ed like me, we are kindred nerds, right? <laughs> so, you know, we, we were always thinking about how to grow the business. You know, we were always thinking about the data side, the connectivity side, all that other stuff. And Ed is the kind of person that, you know, I want to go in the morning and know that I have to make 25 phone calls. He's not as a networker as I am. I like the networking side. I like that deepening side and all that stuff. And so him and I both came up with the idea of, hey, why don't we create a campaign to really reach out to the owners directly? And we were able to get a property under contract. And in the middle of the, of the, of the deal, we ran into a hitch with the lender. And uh, the lender is unable to do the loan and now we have to switch lenders in the middle of the transaction. So what made the first lender, one, think he could do it to begin with? And then what right. what killed it? Yeah. They were they were new they were new to the market. I think that the person that was leading the way was, you know, just over promised. From what I can recall, I think that they had concerns about the lack of experience of the buyers for managing the multifamily. And, you know, we didn't really think that that was going to be such a, a big issue just based on the loan to value. So we had to kind of shift gears. And, of course, I had to now, you know, get the seller to give us an extension and do all that stuff. But long story short, we were able to make it happen. And the transaction closed. So my first deal was a six-unit, you know, apartment building in Little Havana. And... You know, I've, I've, I've mentioned this before. I've helped this client acquire many other, you know, uh, buildings in that in that area. But it's so funny. I was speaking to him uh, a couple of days ago and he still has that property. Oh, wow. You know, and, uh, you know, dare I say, OK, and for people in Miami, he bought that property for three hundred and twenty five thousand dollars. How many units? And six units, wow. all two ones. OK, that's going for one point two million dollars now mm -hmm. in the marketplace. But he bought at a time and a place where most people were afraid to execute. Right. 
Was it was it timing because of the market or was it because of the area? It's been three years since the since the great you know, great recession. The market had been very much sullied by everything that was happening economically. Uh, there wasn't a lot of attention being played, uh, and then the deals that were being made. People were either wanting to go ultra ultra high risk, so therefore they wanted double digit cap rates, or they wanted to go trophy property, mm -hmm. you know, single digit low cap rates, but like all about the location and all about the future appreciation of that location. And we were scarred. Miami no. was scarred, scarred. I mean, we bounced no. back a lot faster, but the predictions, again, going back to right. being careful about focusing too much on headlines, right. like the New York Times and the Washington Post was like, you know, Miami, again, yeah. ground zero for the mortgage no. crisis, which I'm not saying wasn't true, but right. they were predicting, oh, they're not going to yeah. come back for 10 to 20 years, get yeah. out. So there were a lot of people who had deposits. Deposits, yeah. big deposits, That's and they right. walked. So you talk about, so yeah, that was a great time to get in because most of the people were completely yeah. scarred. From and, and if I look at the history of that property, the owner had bought it for 95 grand, you know, back in the 70s. Um, this transaction takes place like around 2000, 2009, I want to say. So, of course, you know, he, he gained a premium, but the rent, man, they were like $600 right. that's for, the other thing for two I was, bedrooms. And that's the other thing I was yeah. going to say is the rents got so yeah. grossly depressed because we had so much new construction. Yeah. And people were coming in and just buying bulk condos from right. from the developers who just wanted out yeah. and so that's why so many people moved to downtown and downtown well mostly downtown brickle right. which used to be dead after five but because brickle went on sale after right. the great recession everybody was moving down there so i imagine mm -hmm. that also decreased a bit yeah. the the values in you know yeah. the rents in little havana because people who before could live in little havana can now live in a brand new yeah. you know luxury condo in downtown brickle, so. yeah but i i do remember you know a few of the properties that were acquired were acquired you know below 400 grand mm -hmm. and i think we could have afforded to be more aggressive right <laughs> Well, and I, and I think that's true now, right? Right now, there there aren't a lot of deals getting done because yeah. credit's so tight and because yeah. the economy is a big unknown, even though, no you know, you start getting readings and the unemployment rate is still right. super low, which means, you know, inflation is still exactly. high. But, but you start getting some of these readings where it looks like we're on the right trajectory, but yeah. then the economy in the background is still really, really fragile, right? right? Yeah. So... You know, I know that there's a lot of mom and pop money, a lot of family money, a lot of um, private lending coming into the market because yeah. they feel my brother always says when the market's going down and he, he doesn't care if it's the stock market or the real estate market, he goes, you listen for the word capitulate. <laughs> when you hear the word capitulate, wow. bye, 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 bye. Yeah. So I heard capitulate in reference wow. to San Francisco office market, but I'm still not ready to go in there. Right. But I, yeah. I think that that's interesting yeah, to your yeah, point yeah. is that, you know, I think we're yeah. getting close to, especially in some markets and in yeah. some asset classes, we're, yeah. we're getting close to a time where we're going to be saying the same thing. 
it's wow, interesting. they bought office in San Francisco yeah. for less than a hundred well, well, When we're up in Orlando in the next couple of weeks, we got to have a conversation with Gigi Galloway, yeah. uh, you know, great agent in Northern Florida who also uh, used to uh, broker in California. Mm -hmm. And he's, he's spoken about um, opportunities out there in, in San Francisco as well. I think it would be, we would be remiss to not mention what was your, to talk about our first investments in real estate. Do you remember what, what was the first? I do. I do because, so I remember my first two. I remember my very first investment, which to me was like a no brainer. I felt like I was, cause I was buying into a syndication. The broker that I worked with, you know, I kept saying, you know, your rent keeps going on. He never should have listened to me cause we bought, this is the one where we bought at the height of the market. We bought right, right before the great recession, but it was this great location in South Miami. It's this mm -hmm. two story building it, surrounded by residential, but super close to all of the expressway mm -hmm. on ramps and US one. And um, so he put a syndication together and because syndications are so easy to come to get into with fairly small amounts of money, this one, I think the max was uh, the minimum was like 20, 25. So it was kind of a no brainer. It's yeah. like, okay, we have this money, it's sitting aside, let me let me get into it. So that was my first real estate deal. My first one that I did on my own is the one that got away. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I fear got in the way and I had this mm -hmm. issue and, and to anybody out there getting ready to invest, that is gonna be what kills you. What stops you yeah. from investing, what prevents you from getting in the real estate market is gonna be your fear. You're gonna start thinking about all the what ifs. What if the mortgage company, you know, doesn't close and I lose right. my deposit? What if the rents aren't what I thought they were gonna be? What if the current economy goes down further? What, you know, you get all these what ifs in your head. So my first one, it was a single family home. It was in a great area in Coral Gables, close to Calle Ocho. Adorable home. We get it under contract because it was, we were just coming out of the recession. So I'm like, you know what? I sold my stock low. I'm going to buy real estate low. <laughs> so we get in and I was shocked that we, you know, our offer was accepted. Yeah. We got it for a really good price. It was under 200000 $200,000 for an old Spanish. And we did all of the inspections. So there were two things that were a strike against this house. One was it only had one bathroom and there was like based on the lot size and the layout, there was nowhere else to put in like a second bathroom. Like we could have converted the garage, but it would have been a weird access. It was just wonky. But I'm like, so what? So you have, you know, you have a three bedroom, one bath. A lot of people have two bedrooms, one bath. Yeah. So, and there's such a market for it, right? right. UM professors, UM students. I mean, anybody yeah. working in, in downtown, because again, access, we were super close to Calle Ocho yeah. and to downtown um, Coral Gables. And when the report comes back, there's subterranean termites. And that freaked me out because regular termites you tent, but mm -hmm. subterranean termites like can do in your whole foundation. And mm -hmm. I just got scared and I used that as a pull the plug. Wow. That every time I drive by that But house, at that time you didn't know that, that that's a very common thing in Coral Gables. Subterranean, yeah, I didn't yeah, yeah, know yeah. that. I've never bought, I never ran across right. it before. I didn't do residential, like, right. but I heard subterranean termites and I'm like, oh my God, like this house is gonna collapse on my tenants. <laughs> They're gonna, you know, their survivors yeah. are gonna sue us. We're gonna yeah. go bankrupt. We're gonna be yeah. living under a bridge. That's where my brain went. Wow. But 
it taught me a huge lesson because that is my biggest real estate regret. Every yeah. time I see that house trade, yeah. <laughs> every yeah. single time, I'm like, oh my gosh, you're a moron. You, you know, like, yeah. and so that, the fact that I did lose that and I, it was yeah. one that I regret losing. Yeah. There are other ones that I yeah. don't regret losing, but that one I regret losing, that helped me yeah. start to overcome my fear, which when I went and bought the next house, mm -hmm. I saw the same thing happening yeah. and I found a friend. <laughs> no, I, I, I find it interesting. We've had a lot of interesting conversations with people that we know very well, especially through this podcast. And, you know, what well, we've come to the conclusion that they don't have it all figured out when they make they, they and a lot of right. times they've just, you know, they've just moved forward and figured it along the way. And, and meanwhile, you know, they've been able to <laughs> really grow equity. They've been able to really make money and, and one investment led to another. And sometimes that initial fear of not having all of the, you know, potential things that could happen undercovered and, you know, where you kind of want to control every aspect of the deal. But I think their mindset is as long as these major things are addressed, then we'll figure it out. <laughs> so you're so right, because I remember thinking, uh, you know, several people that I know who invest in much bigger properties and we had this conversation and they've said, oh, my first deal, I was scared. I had the same yeah. thing. I asked all the wrong people. They said I was crazy. Yeah. So everyone that I've spoken to who invests in commercial real estate has the one that they that got away that they oh, wish well. they had yeah. offered. You know, I lost that over a thousand dollars or, yeah. you know, or I lost that because somebody told me I was crazy or several people yeah. told me I was crazy. So. I think that's a really good point because every single one of those people who are extremely yeah. successful investors told me there's no such thing as the perfect deal. You go in that's and it so looks true. perfect on paper, but the minute something happens in the economy or something happens with a tenant, you know, you had a long-term tenant there and all of a sudden after you do all your due diligence, you know, four days later, you realize that the lot across the street was built by, you know, is being built for the dollar store that's currently your tenant, you know. So that's a really good point that you made, that there's really no such thing as the perfect deal that you just need to make sure that you cover some yeah. of the realistic what ifs and, and you put money aside for it, but that you also recognize that most of the what ifs are never going to happen. Right. Like that house is still standing Hold with up. their subterranean termites. Yeah. So. And there was a treatment for it and the treatment wasn't yeah. expensive, but no. so I don't know if I really was afraid of subterranean. I mean, first of all, they're gross little creatures, yeah. so it could be, yeah. um, but I, I, I might've just needed the excuse, the excuse. To, to back out. Yeah. Yeah. That happens How about yours? I was still teaching and um, this, is, this is what got me into the industry. There was an opportunity for us to buy a pre-construction property in Port St. Lucie and, and by we, I mean, Two friends of mine that were also teachers and, you know, I was getting into the mortgage industry and, uh, you know, we realized, hey, you know, we, we can buy it and, you know, each of us put, you know, I think it was five grand and we're going to be able to buy this, you know, four bedroom, two bathroom property. And we were close enough to the airport where we felt that there was going to be a good amount of demand. You know, I didn't know then everything that I know now, right? Mm -hmm. So sometimes, you know, you take a risk. And so we, we, we go ahead and we buy, we, you know, we buy the property. It's pre-construction, so it won't be ready for a year. And when the property becomes, you know, ready, you know, we're doing the mortgage, so I get to pick my title company. Well, there was a clause in the contract that says that I had to pick 
from the moment of signing the lease a year before, we had 30 days to pick a title company. Otherwise, the lender can assign a title company and we would have to close with the lender's title company. So all of a sudden, we had calculated our closing costs and all of a sudden our closing costs now are gonna be $3,000 more than what we were expecting. And so I remember that at that time I had to leave for California to go to a, um, a, a training in LA. I, I was still teaching at the time. And uh, you know I'm about to get on a plane and now I gotta find an extra three grand. We all have to find an extra three grand to close the deal. So we figured it out. We closed the transaction. That's what got me into mortgages. I was like, you know what? I'm gonna go get my, my mortgage license because I don't wanna be fooled. I wanna make sure that, you know, all this stuff. So we close on the transaction. We find a property management company. They lease out the space. We owned it for two years. And then we decide to exit out. Uh, to this day, I've yet to see the property in person. <laughs> so it was a totally, everything was done. And this is before, you know, yeah, all of the advances. This is all by phone and all that stuff. And, uh, but we each got like a $30,000 return on that, on that, you know, on that modest investment. And uh, so that was my first, that was my, my, my first foray. But it, I would have never gotten into, I don't know that I would have gotten into mortgages, you right, know, if it hadn't, if it hadn't been, been for that experience. Yeah. Yeah. So. so a lot of people are like, oh, I'm afraid of losing money. And the way that I think you need to look at any type of investment, even the bad ones, is that it's not money lost it's right. money spent mm -hmm. on your education because you're going to remember the lessons when you lose oh, money no. yeah. <laughs> a lot more than the ones that yeah. you that you get a windfall on and that work perfectly the yeah. lessons that you learn on the one that hurts <laughs> <laughs> those, sure. those are those are the lessons that I think sure. you Absolutely. learn the most. Absolutely. And and you know bringing it back to the first day of school, I mean that's that's kind of what we always want our kids to get out of the you know the negative experiences that they have, and you know and and you learn a lot more from failure than from success, and right. sometimes enough where it. Uh, you know, it informs the rest of your life. You know? Right. And everything so, that you do for the first time, right, yeah, is is do, is sure. both. You said, you know, oh, I remember how optimistic we were and how happy and everything else. Well, right. yes, but that's also mixed with scary. You know, how scary am I going to have classes with the same friends? Am I going to like yeah. my teachers? If you're going to a new school, what's it going to be like so it's kind yeah. of that yin and yang between yeah. you know panic and euphoria i think with real estate investing yeah. is you know as long as you really do a good job with your due diligence and you wow. have the right people with you and helping you analyze the deal your land use yeah. attorneys your lenders your wow. whatever you need you know yeah. your cpa your tax advisor everybody involved then i think you're now one last thing jennifer do you remember you know because i i often think about this do you remember your first year in real estate being um you know markedly significant or do you group like your first like for me I kind of for me it's a little bit of a haze like I group my first three years together no because my first year I, w I went once I realized that I was going to be doing real estate instead of just yeah. getting the referrals I, I bought everything, right? So like I bought top producer, I bought everything that was thrown at me, every like, oh, you need this for this, you need this for this, yeah, yeah. you need, like it's a little bit overwhelming and right. I never really sat 
down and analyzed. I just believed, oh, yeah. top producer is telling me, do you use top producer? Do you use top producer? You know, well, I never yeah. used, I, I paid a fortune for top producer wow. and I never used it because when I got in it, yeah, yeah it just wasn't my product. But so that's what I remember my first year was like, oh, I felt like I needed all of this stuff to help me implement systems because right. I didn't know which systems to implement. And, yeah. and you know, even though you go to the MLS training and, and our association has amazing, amazing classes for your first year in real estate, your first six months in real estate and everything else. Um, yeah. So I remember my first year spending a lot of money. And then at the end of the year going, okay, I spent a lot of money. I've done three deals. The investment that I made isn't worth it. Stop spending, regroup, you know, where did you get these three deals that you did do from? Not one of them was from top producer or because I used top producer or anything like yeah. that. So my first year was just, I went on a spending spree thinking, oh, I bought, all, I did all of my CCM classes my first year. Um, and then I read wow. the fine print that in order to get the pin and the certificate, you need to have a huge portfolio of commercial right. deals. And I had one residential deal and I think one or two commercial leases. And that was right. it. So I'm like, yeah. uh, I think I'm a little ways off from that. <laughs> so if it's your first year, it's super yeah. exciting. So I would tell people, you know, your first year is a time for really planning and laying the foundation. And yes, if you need to make money, you definitely need to be working in the market and, and partnering with people who can help you. But don't go out and think that there are a bunch of systems out there that you can buy that is you know, calling lists, lead generation systems, all that kind Ooh. of stuff, because we have several new agents and all they want are leads and they want to know if they should pay for a lead generation system. And we're right. like, your CRM is your lead. Right. You know, your leads are coming from your CRM. Yeah. So that's it's your sphere of influence. That right. is the right. most important. So I think that it. that was the thing. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Here's to many, many other firsts. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we still and, have to do our first deal together. And, and we, we started with the business, but you know, exactly. we have to do a real estate deal That's together. right. Well, listen, and good luck to all of the, uh, not only the students getting back to school, but also the teachers yeah. getting back to school. The teachers, the principals, yeah, the whole support staff, the cafeteria. Everybody, for sure. Yeah. And all the parents. Yeah, all the parents. Homework. Oh, my goodness. Yay, don't be love homework. I, I know. And get ready for a little bit more traffic, Miami. Yes. It's coming to you. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So what do you got for the stat of the, of the podcast? So because most of the world is on fire, literally, it's super, super hot everywhere. All I can think about is ice cream. Ice cream <laughs> is also my, my weakness. Okay. Um, I can't have ice cream in the house. But then I started thinking it's also football season as well as back to school season. So football season's getting underway. So, so I literally Googled um, football players with ice cream shops. Yeah. <laughs> and I came up with Alec Jaffe. He was a running back with the USC Trojans, and he is the founder and CEO of Alex's Ice Cream in Petaluma, Petaluma California, which okay. is close to where I'm from. Santa Rosa is where we lived. But I thought this was super interesting because ice cream industry is a huge business. It's yeah. um, in, as of 2022, the U.S. ice cream industry is worth 9.9 .9 billion. Wow. So it's big business, but most of the people are small business owners. So the I have a list of Florida's number five in all of the states in terms of the most ice cream loving states. So Florida's right. number five. California was number one. So it, it makes sense that yeah. I may. Um, wow. 
But um, so anyway, so there are lots of moms and pops involved in the ice cream business. I'm going to attach Miami New Times top 10 Miami spots. Um, yeah. I'll, I'll put that in the show notes. But my favorite is Albion Ramza, which is a ice cream that infuses their ice cream with liquor. And when I was writing, you know, when I was researching this, I'm like, it's weird because my favorite ice cream there is Highland Truffle or the Strawberry Sorbet. I can't stand chocolate ice cream and I don't like strawberry wow. sorbet. Like I never order that anywhere. Right. But the Highland Truffle is paired <laughs> with Macallans and I love Macallans. <laughs> and the strawberry sorbet oh is made with Veuve Clicquot Champagne and I love oh Veuve God. Clicquot Champagne. So. I don't know if you're making me hungry or thirsty. <laughs> but, uh, I'll be will take care of both. So first of all, do you have a favorite ice cream spot, local ice cream spot? I mean, I can't, I cannot uh, go wrong with azúcar ice cream in yeah. Little Havana. I think, I think, uh, I think Susie and her entire team and and that in, in that entire story, and hopefully one day we could have her in the podcast. But the story of azúcar ice cream is is tremendous. This is a person that used to work in the financial sector, and during the Great Recession, there was a you know reconfiguration, and so she gets this small you know windfall when. When when she gets let go, and she remembers that her her grandpa always used to make ice cream at home, and she had all these recipes, so she says, you know what, I'm gonna create my own business. I'm gonna go to Ben and Jerry's University, <laughs> right? Learns how to make ice cream, applies all the recipes, builds this wonderful, incredibly tasting. I mean, that Abuela Maria ice cream is mm -hmm. like, you know, it just brings me back to my childhood. And really, the the, the dynamism with which she has marketed the product. And exalting Celia Cruz, who yeah, actually is yeah. getting her own fa her face in, in in a U.S. coin, know. you know, which is an amazing uh, thing. But um, you know, definitely yeah. uh, shout out to them. I I, I love their ice cream yeah, and I love their story. My, they're one of my yeah. tops too. And they opened a shop in Pinecrest. So favorite flavor? No, that Abuela Maria. Oh, that Abuela Maria. My, my favorite go-to flavor is coffee. Uh, okay. Coffee ice cream. Coffee yeah? ice cream. Yeah. Love it. Well, you know what I find interesting is. You know, the, the the different faces of Jennifer Woman. She likes chocolate, but not chocolate ice cream, you know? She feels that dough is, you know, what is it? Dough is a waste of chocolate? Like, don't give her a chocolate donut. She just wants pure, chocolate. dark chocolate. <laughs> That's true. That's amazing. Well, I thought, I thought that since we were talking about first that, you know, we would say the state that has the most realtors is the state of Florida. Um, and um, interestingly enough, uh, according to um, ZipRecruiter, all right, the annual salary for a first year, the average annual pay for a first year real estate agent in Florida is $64,000 a year, which is, is actually up year over year. So I found that interesting. Of course, that's an average. Right. And so, you know, take that with that, you know, grain of salt. But I, I thought that was an interesting number. I remember when I got into the industry, that number was in the 40s. Yeah, that's what I want to say. Yeah. I think when I got in, it was in the mid 30s. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so there we go. Great. All right, everybody, thank you for joining us uh, and for pulling up a chair. It means a lot to us, all of the comments that we get and all of the feedback. And uh, we we hope to uh, you join us for another one. Thank you. Bye, everybody. Bye.